This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. Our Father, thank you for this day and for this time that we have together. Lord, as we meet and as we consider the things which you set before us, I pray that you would help us to concentrate our minds, that you would uh, give us the strength and the uh, insight to understand the, uh, the great truths of your gospel and your revelation to us. And Father, we just commit everyone here who uh, works here, who studies here, uh, to your care today. For Jesus' precious name's sake, we ask it. Amen. Right, okay. Yesterday I uh, finished, we were talking about grace, and I was uh, talking about different aspects of this and different problems that um, uh, it caused at various points. Um, I want to uh, say a little bit more about that today, but then go on to specific cases, specific examples, because grace is kind of an umbrella concept. It's something that covers everything. Um, and then you have to look at the different uh, details, uh, if, you, uh, if you like, uh, as we move along. Uh, what uh, is remarkable, I think uh, it's fair to say, is how this notion has survived. Um, uh, we look at Augustine uh, and the way in which he analyzed it uh, way back uh, around the year 400. I mean, you're talking about you know 16 centuries ago. And although it's gone through a lot of changes, a lot of ups and downs since then, uh, it's still uh, a concept with which we deal today. Um, we talk about the means of grace. I was talking a little bit, I'll talk more about that uh, today and uh, saying the, the means of grace, the idea of how does the grace of God, how does the, uh, the gift of God uh, in Jesus Christ come to us? And what are the channels, if you like? What are the ways uh, in which God um, gives us this grace? Uh, who administers this grace? We talked about the church and the officers of the church and uh, how on the one hand, um, they are uh, given the authority to, uh, to minister the grace of God to people, to, to preach and proclaim this. And I also pointed out the danger uh, that uh, inevitably comes when this uh, happens, uh, you know, that people abusing um, their power and, uh, you know, trying to block the grace of God or, or, or manipulate it in some way or other. And um, throughout the history of the church, there have always been, uh, you know, problems of that kind as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, there's a two-sided thing. And a lot of the, the difficulties that we find in the church today, certainly um, the Protestant Reformation and so on, uh, you know, came about largely because of this, because of, of, of disagreements and quarrels uh, over this particular uh, thing. Uh, and, of course, defining uh, the means of grace. I mean, uh, some people will argue, uh, you know, back and forth. They will uh, talk about preaching, the, the sacraments, prayer, and so on. Some people try to um, put them in a kind of order, uh, hierarchy, saying preaching is the, mo the chief means of grace, or the sacraments are the chief means of grace, or, or whatever it is. You know, they, they, um, uh, they, they try to... Uh, I would say, in my opinion at least, overdefine these things. Uh, and that 
Uh, I mean, the, the intention, of course, is to have clarity, uh, which is, is fine. Um, the difficulty is that uh, you can narrow uh, the field so much that uh, you miss out. You know, the, uh, if I can put it a different way, um, God is, is bigger than any theory uh, that we have about him. And uh, if we try to pin him down and say, well, you know, he does this, 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 and this, I mean, even if it's true, uh, you can't limit him to that uh, or, um, or, th or imagine that because you're doing something that somehow God is going to jump, you know, like a dog to uh, respond to, to, to your, uh, 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 your initiative uh, in this way. We can't control him. We are his servants. We are his ministers. And we need to remember that. Uh, in, uh, in modern times, uh, I think the, the whole concept of grace um, has been very much tied up with the notion of covenant, uh, the covenant of grace, which has been a major theme, uh, particularly in Protestant and Reformed theology, but also more generally than that. Um, it, uh, it is distinguished, I suppose, by an attempt to uh, link the whole concept of grace, the uh, God's gift, God's activity, uh, to uh, the his self-revelation in Scripture. Uh, because when Augustine talked about grace and the grace of God, he concentrated uh, very much on the church and the way in which the church functioned, um, the way in which grace uh, came into the life uh, of the Christian, the Christian believer. Uh, the covenant of grace, the covenant idea, extends this notion of grace uh, to Israel, to the Old Testament. Uh, this isn't to say that Augustine excluded that, of course. I mean, I'm not saying that, uh, that. Um, but it's a way of thinking, you see, a sort of uh, uh, using the concept uh, to cover this. And of course, once you do this, uh, once you see the, uh, the revelation, the self-revelation of God in Scripture, uh, as a covenant of grace, uh, then inevitably um, the, the links between the Old and the New Testament, uh, the way in which the church uh, picks up and inherits uh, the legacy of Israel uh, becomes much more central um, to, uh, to theological thinking, to theological concerns. And uh, when that happens, of course, um, it's not just a case of how much uh, we take over from Israel, how close we are to Israel, but also how we differ from Israel. The two things uh, must go hand in hand. Um, and uh, again, as I say, although this discussion uh, was certainly uh, present in the early church and you had uh, uh, elements of it coming up uh, in different ways, uh, it has become a much more um, central concern, uh, I think one might say, uh, you know, of the church's life in the last 500 years. I mean, that would be uh, fair to say. Um, and uh, is very closely connected, of course, with biblical studies. Uh, what to do with the Old Testament, how to read it, how to understand it, uh, and above all, uh, how to apply it. Um, and we'll look a little bit at some of that um, as we go along uh, today uh, in, our, uh, in our course. The first concept, I think, that we, that we need to look at, and one which ties all this together, is the whole notion of election. Election, the word election, of course, means choice. Uh, and 
Uh, in Christian theology, election is used to refer to the choice which God has made uh, of a people uh, to, uh, to serve him in a special way. Uh, now, uh, this is a phenomenon, of course, which characterizes the Bible. Uh, the Bible would not be what it is, uh, and therefore, of course, the Christian church would not be what it is uh, without a concept of election. Um, there are those who, who uh, say, uh, and who, or who would like to believe, uh, that um, God uh, is impartial, that God deals with every human being in the same way, that all people are equal in his sight. And, of course, in a sense, uh, there is a truth in that. Uh, the Bible never denies the unity of the human race. Every human being is descended from a single pair, according to the biblical teaching. All nations on earth are interrelated, interconnected in some way or other. And uh, this is extremely important. Uh, it's important for two uh, reasons. Uh, one, because uh, it, uh, it, it prevents, or it ought to prevent, uh, discrimination uh, against uh, other groups. And of course we know uh, how uh, there has been uh, discrimination. Um, one of the things I think we ought to bear in mind uh, at this point is that although we're very aware uh, of discrimination, segregation, uh, and, and so on, within our own culture and our, our own uh, society. Um, one of the reasons we're aware of it and, and we take it so seriously is because we don't, we realize it's somehow wrong uh, and are trying to get rid of it. You see, and it's, when, it's only when you come to a consciousness that, that it, you should, it shouldn't be there um, that people become aware of it and start talking about it and start calling it discrimination. Um, if you look at other uh, countries or other cultures, uh, you find that uh, what we think of as discrimination is rampant everywhere. Uh, I mean, the, the most obvious example, I suppose, that's connected with religion uh, in particular is India. Uh, I mean, in India, you have the caste system uh, where you have Brahmins and you have the various lower castes and then you have the untouchables. And although officially, uh, you know, the government does everything it possibly can to, um, to get rid of this. I mean, they, they don't believe in this and, um, you know, they try to sort of uh, give affirmative action programs to, uh, to untouchables and, and, and this kind of thing. It's so deeply rooted in Hinduism. Uh, and indeed is part of uh, the Hindu message, the Hindu promise, because with a belief in reincarnation, you see, they can teach that if you behave well, uh, you can come back in the next life in a higher caste. Um, and if you are a high caste person and you come back, you know, you don't behave well, you might come back in the next life as a lower caste person. Um, you know, there's a kind of promise and reward uh, tied to it in, in this way. Now, Christianity and Christian cultures, however much they may have practiced discrimination in different ways um, uh, in the past, have never institutionalized it 
in a religious uh, dimension to that to anything like that degree. Um, you know, Christian doctrine of election is nothing like this. Um, uh, be, uh, in fact, uh, it's the opposite, really, because uh, we believe that if God God may choose particular people, but of course He's free to choose anyone He likes, and uh, you know, you, you aren't sort of channeled by uh, by some kind of caste distinction or something like that. Well, I, ta I cite that example because it's one that uh, we don't often think about, but um, is, is very powerful and uh, has had a tremendous impact uh, within its own culture. Uh, but of course, it's true of, uh, of everybody. I mean, um, you know, the Chinese, the Japanese, and uh, you name it, you know, you go around the world and you find that within their own societies, they can be very... Uh, uh, racist, uh, you know, when dealing with others. I mean, it's a different, um, uh, it's something we're not very familiar with, perhaps. Uh, and, uh, but they do it, they practice it, and see nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think this is the key, uh, you know, that they don't, they don't seem to think there's anything uh, particularly wrong or bad. We do it, but we think there's something wrong. Um, uh, you know, and that it, it shouldn't be like that, and we, we make real efforts to overcome it. Um, and, and perhaps not as successfully as we, we might, but still, um, you know, at least we're thinking along those lines. So that's one thing, the unity of the human race. Um, the other, of course, aspect of that uh, is that uh, the gospel is meant to be preached to all people. And again, um, uh, you see, if you have uh, a, high, uh, a strong uh, doctrine of discrimination uh, or that some people are better than others, uh, the temptation not to do that uh, is, li is liable to be quite, uh, quite great. Uh, that people, you know, well, why preach the, uh, a message uh, to those who are inferior, um, to those who, you know, it's, it's obviously not intended for them. And while there may have been uh, Christian people over the years, uh, you know, who have thought in the, that kind of way, uh, I'm not saying that it's never existed, um, the, the countervailing uh, initiative, the idea that the, the gospel message is for everybody, um, and pushed to the point where, uh, you know, Christians have gone uh, to the, the far corners of the earth, uh, they've translated the scriptures into the languages of, you know, tribal people all over the place. Spent a lot of time and, and effort, missionary work, um, uh, you know, in, in, in the most remote places among the most primitive people, are a living testimony to this belief um, that uh, all human beings, whoever they are, wherever they are, uh, have... Uh, I say a right is perhaps the wrong word, but um, have the capacity to hear uh, the the word of God, and it is our duty as Christians to bring it to them. And we have always accepted this duty. I mean, this is a, you know, there's a long history um, of of Christian mission uh, and so on. So we need to bear that in mind, and the importance of the unity. Uh, uh, of the human race as a whole. Having said that, within the human race, and this is clear in the Old Testament, uh, that God uh, did in fact choose uh, a particular person, Abraham, uh, and uh, said to Ab Abraham that in him 
uh, he would make Abraham and his descendants a great nation, uh, and in them uh, the, the whole world would be blessed. Uh, so that there is a, a, a definite choice and a purpose uh, that Abraham was set apart uh, from, the, uh, from the world around him, from his family and, and so on, uh, and called to a particular mission which was to apply to him and to his family, to his descendants. And of course, out of that uh, calling, out of that election, has come uh, what we now call the Jewish people. I mean, this is their ancestry uh, in physical terms. Now, uh, this is quite clear, uh, of course, um, in, the, uh, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament is basically uh, the story of the elect people, the chosen people of God, and how he uh, guided them and protected them. But uh, the, the history uh, of Israel and the, the way in which election works out uh, it has, I think, a number of lessons for us. Because although uh, Abraham was called for a special mission, a particular purpose, and so on, first of all, um, this calling was not one uh, of complete separation from the rest of the human race. Um, it was a special calling, yes. It, it was something particular to Israel, yes. Uh, but, um, you know, God says right from the beginning, in you all the nations will be blessed. So it's not a selfish uh, kind of thing, you know. One mustn't imagine this, that um, as if the world is, you know, sort of drowning, uh, a kind of Noah's Ark uh, picture, and Abraham and his family are the ones are the ones rescued, and too bad about the rest. I mean, it's not, um, you know, it's not quite as, as stark as that. Um, it's also, of course, the case that Israel is told on more than one occasion but particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 7, is where God uh, speaks about this uh, expressly, that God's electing, God's choice of Israel has nothing to do with Israel itself. In other words, Israel has not deserved this. Uh, and God says specifically that, you know, it's not because you are a great nation. It's not because you are uh, a numerous nation. Uh, it's not for anything like this. You see, you have, no, you have nothing going for you, uh, you know, basically. Um, I mean, you're not like the Egyptians building pyramids. You're not like the Babylonians conquering here, there, and everywhere. I mean, really very unimportant in the terms of the world. Uh, but... Uh, you have been chosen. Why? Because God has set his love on you. And again, it's the love of God uh, which comes to the fore in the nature of election, the relationship which he establishes with Abraham and his, uh, and his family and his people, uh, not to do with their merits uh, in, in any form. And this, of course, is where we see uh, the outworking of the grace of God uh, in, in election. I mean, it is entirely his work, uh, his choice, and really nothing much to do um, with, um, with Israel itself. We then see, of course, in the history of Israel, which is a fascinating study uh, in the Old Testament, because the history of Israel is essentially a history of rebellion and failure. 
um, that at different times, uh, you know, in its history, uh, Israel has been enslaved. Israel has been uh, has turned to other gods. Israel has gone away from the calling which it has received from God. Uh, and the whole uh, story um, is one uh, of a mixture of blessing and punishment. Uh, and it's quite extraordinary how, uh, you know, how these things are intertwined. For instance, uh, if you look at Moses and the, 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 the deliverance, the exodus, um, is on the one hand a great deliverance and is a picture, uh, in a sense, of salvation. I mean, that uh, you know, it, it was used that way in later centuries, that Egypt is portrayed as the land of bondage, the land of sin, uh, and Moses leads his people out of Egypt um, into the promised land. Uh, well, he doesn't quite get there, but you know, into into freedom, uh, the freedom of the desert. And this is held up as a great model, um, uh, you know, of of God's love for His people and what God will do, not just for the nation of Israel, uh, but for us. Uh, that he sets us free from the bondage of sin. He gives us the, uh, the privilege of uh, uh, you know, walking with him in freedom uh, and the promise, of course, of eternal life um, uh, after death, which is kind of our promised land. So this picture has been taken over and used uh, through the generations of the church um, uh, you know, as a model for uh, what God will do with his people and uh, how he operates. That's one side of the story. What we tend to forget, though, uh, or at least don't emphasize uh, to the same degree, uh, is the fact that once Israel gets into the desert, um, the people themselves spend most of their time complaining. They want to go back to Egypt. Um, making the golden calf for themselves when Moses goes up the mountain to get the law of God and comes back down the mountain he finds that they've already developed their own sort of pagan religion um, that uh, the people uh, you know fall apart they they uh, they reject Moses uh, rebel against Moses uh, try to take over um, you know and change the policies and and so on Moses himself uh, at one point, uh, you know, strikes the rock in anger, um, you know, the, the, and, and God punishes him for this and says, well, because of this, you will not enter the promised land. You see, so even Moses, the great hero, um, is a flawed character. Uh, and I often point this out to people that it's very difficult uh, to go through the Old Testament and find anybody of any prominence whom you would want to have in your church or whom you would regard as a, uh, as a kind of model uh, for Christian believers uh, when you look at the way they live. You know, I mean, uh, Abraham, for instance, who passed his wife off as his sister twice. Uh, Abraham, who, who took his son Isaac up the mountain in order to slay him, you know, and was sort of uh, told to, not to do it at the last minute and so on. I mean, this is not the kind of person... Um, uh, you, you know, you'd be too thrilled to have in your in, in your congregation, um, but then put him next to somebody like David, uh, you know, who sort of chased other men's wives and um, and 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 did a number of uh, difficult things. David, whose family, uh, you know, was a terrible uh, mess, 
um, uh, all his children in, in rebellion against him and, and, and all sorts of things. Um, and then, of course, you kind of go downhill from there. Uh, you know, the others are, 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 not, ter are not very uh, impressive either. Uh, but having said that, um, you see, I mean, I mean, this is true on one level. Uh, at the same time, uh, these are the people, these are the leaders of the nation, these are the people to whom God gives the promises. I mean, Jesus comes into the world, he is the son of David. Um, you know, the fulfilling the promises made to Moses, fulfilling the covenant made with Abraham. Um, despite their failings, despite their, their limitations, they nevertheless represent uh, the leadership of the elect people. Uh, and reading the, the list of saints in Hebrews 11, you know, going through the Old Testament, uh, can be quite a frightening exercise uh, in some ways if you uh, start looking at who these people actually were uh, and, and what they did. I mean, I remember um, the one that sort of struck me between the eyes at, at, at one stage. Um, I was preparing a sermon on Jephthah. Jephthah is perhaps not terribly well known, um, but he's the man who... Uh, who, who swore to God that if God gave him victory in battle, uh, this is in the book of Judges, uh, that when he got home, the first thing that came out of his house, he would sacrifice to the Lord. Um, stupid man, you know, I suppose thinking that the first thing that would come out of the house would be a dog or a, or a, or a sheep or something like this, uh, and then discovers to his horror uh, that it's his daughter, uh, and so he's stuck. Uh, I mean, what's he going to do, you see? I mean, he, he's sworn before the whole people that he's going to sacrifice his daughter. Um, and, I mean, it is a most amazing story because the daughter, um, I mean, Jephthah, of course, doesn't want to do this. I mean, he's sort of, you know, stuck, what do I do? Uh, and so on. But there's the daughter who realizes that um, she must be sacrificed uh, to save the honor of her father, uh, you know, and she actually, um, uh, well, I say pushes him to do it, but, but she, she goes along with it. I mean, it's the most extraordinary thing, you know, um, and she just says, you know, give me time to, to prepare, to get ready for this, uh, and, and so on, and, and you know, to, to uh, make my peace with God, basically, and then she accepts to be sacrificed, so that the, the, the word of her father and the honor of her father will be protected. Um, and of course, we look at Jephthah and think, you know, what a dreadful person. I mean, you know, who, who, who would want to have him um, as, as your father? I mean, particularly, I mean, it's terrible. But then uh, you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and who should be listed among the saints? Jephthah, um, you know, is, is one of the people listed there. And it's quite frightening when you see this. Uh, uh, you know, what's he doing in that, in that particular list? Uh, but there he is, you see, because uh, for all his faults and for all his wickedness in many ways, uh, nevertheless, he was, uh, you know, a chosen representative of the elect nation of Israel. I mean, whether anybody likes this or not. Uh, and so it goes. You see, the whole history of Israel is like this. Um, and uh, in this respect, uh, you see, the, the message, I think the underlying message always, um, is that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. You see, we have nothing to boast of. We have no, no claim on God. Um, and uh, our own 
achievements, such as they are, um, you know, when we look at them, are the achievements of sinful people. And we can't um, claim uh, any special protection or any special privilege from God uh, because of that. You know, it's a very uh, sobering uh, story, you might say, the, the, the whole history of Israel. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.